0: in a series we just began last week in this little book wedged in between judges and first samuel it's the book of ruth and if you don't have a bible there's a bible in front of you page 222 222 is are these four chapters in ruth and last week i mentioned how rewarding an experience it is for nancy when we sit down and watch a movie remember that it's it's really rewarding when i have the remote control that's when it's most rewarding because then i get to pause and show her very important things about the show that i'm sure she's missed and so when i think about that as an illustration and it was funny how many women came through the line last week and said something not as positive about their husbands that reminded them of this illustration <laughs> But um, this is the way I'm approaching the book. It's not sort of three points in an application. It's more like we're, we're watching an episode together. And there's four different episodes in the book of Ruth. And I just can't make it fit three points in an application. It's better for me to be like the remote control controller and press the button and say, hey, let's just stop and notice something. Now, there's a lot of things that we don't have time to stop and notice and they may be more important, but these are the things that as I sort of comb through each episode, I think are either interesting or, or helpful or, or both to us. Last week, we started with Ruth chapter 1, and this week, Ruth chapter 2, the title is Working and Waiting, Working and Waiting Under the Wings of God. So I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's helpful for us to sort of absorb the episode together, and then we'll take a moment to reflect on it before I speak about it. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field of the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to this young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women and let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then after she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, she said to Boaz, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some of the bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi said, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all the harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with these young women, lest in the field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law, Naomi. Let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Last week's episode, in case you didn't see it, Naomi was at rock bottom. In fact, if you could talk to Naomi at the end of last week's episode and say, Hey, Naomi, how are you doing? She'd say, I'm so low, I have to look up to see rock bottom. I mean, she is in a desperate place. And you recall that she moved from a place of fullness to a place of emptiness. She started out with a husband and two sons in Bethlehem in the Promised Land. And she moved to Moab, she lost both her husband and her two sons, and she comes back empty. Chapter 1, verse 21. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. And again, as we saw, it wasn't true that Naomi was totally empty. She actually turns out that she was full of bitterness. Yeah, she had lost her husband, she had lost her sons and what replaced that in that well was a was just a a cup full of bitterness and you don't have to take my word for it verse 20 she says remember the the people of the town the women of the town come to her and say is this Naomi I mean she's been gone maybe 15 years they don't even hardly recognize her and what does she say don't call me Naomi call me bitter I mean, she changes her own name she changes her address. She may be living in Bethlehem, but, but her street address is the bottom of the barrel of bitterness. That's how we ended chapter 1. She's in so much emotional pain, she can't even see good things that are happening around her. And especially, she can't see the faithfulness of Ruth. Ruth this Moabite woman, this person who is far from the people of God, but yet Ruth displays this faith. And we saw it in verse 16 and 17, when Naomi had told Ruth to return, she gives this great line, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you for where you go, I'm going to go. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'm going to die. It's this massive expression of love and faith of Ruth to Naomi and also to the Lord. But we noticed immediately following this beautiful pledge, Naomi said nothing. Just no response. This is what happens when you get so bitter inside. Some goodness comes toward you and you just you just can't even recognize it. You don't see it. And the way the chapter ends is she goes back to Bethlehem with Ruth, saying nothing. And when they get there, all the town gather around Naomi and ask Naomi questions, but Naomi never recognizes Ruth, and nobody from the town recognizes Ruth. And so if the episode were coming to a close, all the focus, all the HD would be on Naomi and the townspeople, and what would get out of focus and stepping back would be Ruth, the immigrant. It's like she just fades off the scene. It's like... She wasn't even there. She's just a person who lives in the shadows. That's how a lot of immigrants can feel. But the chapter ends in a way to give us a little clue, like a great screenwriter would say, if you you pay attention, if you pause, there's little clues here that things are going to break for good for Ruth and Naomi. One is first in verse 22 of chapter 1. The word returned. It's a word that you want to circle in chapter 1. They returned from the country of Moab and came to Bethlehem. You don't really see it in the English, but if you start with verse 6 in chapter 1 and go to the end of the chapter, the word return is used 12 times. So it's it's a big clue that the writer is saying, hey, this returning is very important. Which way you turn which road you choose is important. And and what I want to say here is that returning this turning around and leaving Moab and going back to Bethlehem even though it's a bitter pill it's an indispensable action Naomi must take. I mean she has a choice. She can just stay in Moab and live in bitterness. But one thing she got right was she returned. She just said, I can't live here anymore. It feels a little bit like the prodigal son. Remember, he's just like, I can't, whatever it is, I can't stay here anymore. I have to turn, I have to return. And this theme of turning or returning, you probably know, is a big theme in the Bible. Remember, Jesus comes out of the wilderness and his very first sermon. What's the very first word? in his very first sermon starts with an r repent or return he see jesus understands there's kingdoms in conflict in this world and we've chosen to follow the wrong king and and be in the wrong kingdom and he comes out and says hey the very first step for everyone here is to turn around you are going in the wrong direction but i am the light of the world I'm the truth, I'm the way, I'm the way to eternal life, I'm the way to real life, I'm the way to full life, and you got to return or turn around and come towards me. So it's very important to see that our actions are so critical in the way God is orchestrating things. It's indispensable for Naomi and Ruth. They have to turn, they have to turn around. I've used this illustration many times and the reason I do is because I like it, so I'm going to use it again. The proud sea captain, you remember this? He's heading into what he thinks is an oncoming ship. True story. And he signals to the other ship, hey, turn around. I mean, he's the great captain, Frank Moran. He's in this great ship. And so if anybody's in his way, they need to turn around. And so the other ship... Signals back, no, you turn around. So Captain Moran says, no, this is the SSS Poseidon Poseidon. I'm the great Captain Frank Moran. You turn around. And finally the other ship signals back to the proud captain. This is the lighthouse. <laughs> you are about ready. You are about to hit the rocks. You turn around. See, Jesus knows that we're going to make shipwreck of our souls. But we're so proud to think, no, but as soon as I get this, this is the road to happiness, and we have all these excuses of why this is the way, and he's saying, I'm the lighthouse. You're the one that has to turn around, or you're going to just shipwreck your soul. So one thing Naomi and Ruth do right here is they turn, they turn around. And maybe this is the only point you need to hear. You came today by God's providence just to hear me press pause and say, it's time to turn. I I know you have a million excuses of why you're in the bucket of bitterness. I'm not trying to take those away from you. Maybe your husband died. Maybe your two sons died. I mean, you you could have real pain. I'm not trying to minimize that pain. You can't live there. You will shipwreck your soul. And this is all you needed to hear today, that I have to take action. I have to turn. I have to stop going, thinking, acting, behaving in that way. I've got to move this way. And that's one of the reasons I love when we do communion, when you you have to come up front. It's, It's like a physical action to say, I'm returning. I'm coming back to the Lord. I'm remembering why he's good and gracious and, and what I'm leaving behind. I'm leaving some bitterness in my seat behind to come and get the goodness and grace of God and return, return a different person. The second small clue is that it's the beginning of barley harvest. You see that in chapter 20 or verse 22 of chapter 1? I mean, they left because of famine, but it's the beginning of barley harvest. And if the episode were to end, you would see uh, the sun setting on just a big wheat field, just about ready to be harvested, like something good is going to happen here. And the final clue is in chapter 2, this man named Boaz. The, the, before we start the story, the writer wants to say, hey, there's a guy named Boaz, and you're going to meet him. But I want you to know two things about him before we get into any dialogue. And the first thing is that he's a worthy man. And the second thing is that he's a relative. So he's just giving you this information. First of all, he's a worthy man, meaning he's worthy of character. He's upright. He does what's right, even if it costs him. He's a worthy man, meaning he's a wealthy man, probably. And we know Boaz is a wealthy man because he owns, he's the land owner. He has people working underneath him. And you notice in verse 4, he's a worshiping man. Did you notice just that greeting? Very simple, easy to miss. He says to the reapers, hey, the Lord, this is Yahweh, capital L-O-R-D. The Lord be with you. And how did they answer? The Lord bless you. See, he, his faith isn't hidden. I mean, he's a businessman. But everybody knows he's a Christian. He, he's not afraid to say something about it, and they're not afraid to acknowledge, hey, that's the way that guy rolls. It's not a hidden thing. So he's a worthy man. He's a wealthy man. He's a worshiping man. And second, he's a relative. He's of the clan of Elimelech. This is the husband of Naomi who's dead. And you're supposed to be like, oh, boy. Oh, boy, a relative is coming in. Maybe this is the kind of relative who's going to step in and rescue two women in poverty. I mean, you don't know, just verse 1, but that's how you're supposed to think. And let me hold the pause button for one more second. Some of you are saying, Paul, I mean, we're only on verse 1 of chapter 2, and you're halfway through your sermon, so let's get off the pause button. But I, I found this little fact fascinating. And I think, and I don't know this, but I think it makes a difference in Boaz's character. You can draw your own conclusion. Who was Boaz's mother? Well, we happen to know, because in Matthew chapter 1, there's a a genealogy. And it's just that Matthew is trying to say, here's how we got to Jesus. Abraham was the father of of Isaac. Isaac and Jacob It goes through and then Sa- Salmon was the father of Boaz by, you know this little fact, Rahab. Now, if you don't know your Bible, that's okay. You can read for yourselves in Joshua chapter 2. Who was Rahab? What was her character? Uh, she was a prostitute. She was a Canaanite. She wasn't an Israelite. So I just, I just sat and thought about it this week. You could do the same. What would it be like for Boaz to raise up in this house? He's got an Israelite dad. He's got a Canaanite mother whose mother's reputation, clearly known to everybody, she was a prostitute. So what would it be like to be Boaz? I mean, you go to middle school, uh, wasn't your mom a prostitute? I mean, your mom's not one of us. I know she's a Canaanite. She's not an Israelite. I mean, everyone would know this. What kind of conversations did Boaz have with Rahab? Mom, what what was it like for you to be a foreigner amongst us? What was it like for you to have your reputation and somehow get married in? See, I don't know, but I'm guessing some conversations happen like that, and I'm guessing Boaz gets shaped by that, just like you get shaped by your mom. And I think when he comes into this scene... And he sees a woman who's got a bad reputation, who's a foreigner. Her, his heart's already beating for this woman because of his history. Now, aren't you glad I paused right there to help you think about that? I don't know. I just think that's what's moving into the story. So let's see if we can get into the story, actually. Verses 2 through 8. I'm calling this the proactive steps of people and the providence of God. And I love how if you read through this, you might think of it as a split screen. You've got the proactive steps of people playing out on one side, and on the other side of the screen, you've got God working. And you know as the person seeing it, both things are happening, but when you're the person in the screen, you just are working. That's all you can see at the time. So verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of the grain after those whose sight I shall find favor. So there's a uh, law of Moses, Deuteronomy 24, where God makes a provision, like a welfare system. And he says, he makes a commandment, if you're like a wealthy landowner, don't harvest all the way to the end of your fields. Come in 10 feet or whatever the, the stipulation was so that poor people... Can come along and just glean. They have to work for it. You're not going to give it to them, but they got to glean for themselves off of your property. It's a way of of, of keeping people, God's people fed, even if they're poor. And Ruth knows this, so she proactively decides she's going to glean for herself and Naomi. Now, again, I want to just verse two. I got to hit pause again. Naomi is. The, the contrast between Naomi and Ruth couldn't be a bit, bit more more magnified here. Naomi, she's sitting at home. She offers to she doesn't offer to go. She offers no help. She offers no advice. She doesn't say, well, I'm too old, but, you know, if you're a young woman out here and you're a Moabite woman, you're going to need some protection, and I don't offer much, but at least I'm an Israelite woman, and I'll just go sit near you, so nothing. Why? Naomi's stuck in a bucket of bitterness. She just can't get out of it. Contrast Ruth, she's got a bounce in her step. She's taking action. She's even trusting that God's going to give favor through somebody in this field. And I wonder if if you're more like Naomi or more like Ruth. You know, the way we say it, are you glass half full or glass half empty? Now, some of us have some real pain that has caused emptiness again I'm not trying to minimize that but at some point you cannot stay there you will shipwreck your soul you may shipwreck the soul of your entire family if you stay there so it's time to turn and and Ruth is such a great example of saying I'm moving forward I'm taking action and I love verses three and four let's look at those together so she set out and she went and gleaned in the fields of the reapers and she what does it say she just happened it just happened she came to the part of, of, of that belonged to boaz in the verse four and behold guess who shows up well boaz does do you see how you're supposed to read that i mean she's setting out she's taking action she don't know anything about boaz but she just happened to come upon boaz's field she didn't even know it and of all days for the landowner visit boaz comes out isn't that amazing I just love how that's said, and in the in the um in the Hebrew, it's by chance. A lot of us don't like that because we're upright Christian people and there is no chance. No, but there, you know, you see, it's okay to say that just by you're supposed to read and by chance. Okay. And lo and behold. Here comes Boaz it's a beautiful I mean this is Hallmark right I mean I I don't watch Hallmark but I'm just saying this is what happens in every Hallmark movie right the the woman or the man just by chance lands here and this handsome person comes up and why wouldn't you know they get married at the end I mean I'm sure Hallmark just would needs to give money to the Bible because they've just opted the story co-opted the story One commentator calls this divine coincidence. It reminds me of Proverbs 16:9. In his heart a man plans his course, but what? The Lord determines his steps. It's a split screen. I mean, if you're a farmer, you should pray that corn grows in your field or wheat grows in your field. But guess what you have to do first? Plant corn. Plant wheat you got to do something. you got to take action. And then at the same time, you're praying that, well, God's taking action. These split things are happening. And what I want you to know is that even if you're in a bucket of bitterness, God is still at work. No matter where you are, God is on a split screen. And he's working, and we know from Romans, he's working all things together, whether we see it right now or not, for good. So, what I would say is make a plan, chart a course, write down your goals, dream dreams, get to work, but don't worry. Get to work, but don't worry. Turn to your neighbor and just say, Get to work, don't worry. That felt good for some of you, didn't you? Get to work. Really, get to work, do something, take action. But don't worry, why? Because God is determining your steps. That's, that's what helps you feel like, I've got to do something. But in the end, God is moving behind the scenes. And you never know, you just never know what God would have in store. Now, most of you here, you're old enough to have your own stories of how you were at work. And then God moved in ways you wouldn't have expected. You got a story like that? I mean, you're moving in this direction, you kind of had this goal or this dream, and then, boom, God, something happens, and suddenly you're on a different road, something you couldn't have planned. In, in 1995, Nancy and I, I was on the Young Life staff, and, and we decided, hey, I think you, Paul, are going to be committed to uh, preaching the gospel in some form for the rest of your life. You're going to be a, a, a communicator of God's word. So you should go to seminary. You should finish a seminary degree. So in 1995, at a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Uh, I decided to go to Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is in Wake Forest, North Carolina, just above Raleigh. Because at that time, they didn't have online stuff. This was right before, right after the earth cooled. And <laughs> uh, I, I had to drive there once a week. So on Thursday mornings I got up at 4:30 in the morning and basically drove to Raleigh. I took two classes, one in the morning, one at night, and in between I studied all day in the library. And then I drove home, I got home about midnight. And I did that for 6 years. Every Thursday morning. And in 2021 in the spring of 2021, I graduated. Tassel the whole thing, my family came, it's fun. And just by chance, a group of men started meeting in Wilmington to start a new church. And lo and behold, they asked Paul Phillips to join the group. And three months later, I was the pastor of a church. I mean, I couldn't—I would have never planned that. But you, you see how my action... God was saying, yes, Paul, you need to do this because I got something that's brewing six years from now that you couldn't even possibly see, but I need you to be ready for this. And boom, it all comes together. That's how God works. So take action. It might be six years, but trust that God is at work. This is, I wish I could just, I had time to stop and talk more about it, but I really have to move forward. If you're a college person, if you're a Yopro, don't worry about trying to plan the whole, whole rest of your life. Don't get paralyzed trying to figure out what's God's plan for your entire life and thinking, oh, I, I, I didn't do the right thing one time, so I'm, in, I'm forever in the loser's bracket. That's not how God works. That is not how God works. Next scene, Boaz. Boaz notices Ruth. He's a man of character. I don't know if Ruth notices the conversation between Boaz and the foreman, but she's got to notice once Boaz starts walking towards her. And and my guess is when the boss shows up, everybody kind of knows, hey, the boss just walked into the room. They're all kind of looking at him, and suddenly it looks like Boaz is coming towards Ruth. And I I just wonder what Ruth might have been thinking as he starts walking towards her. She's an immigrant. Up until this point, she's faded into the background. Nobody's spoken to her. She has a bad reputation being a Moabite woman. She's vulnerable. What will happen? What will Boaz do? verse 8, then Boaz said to Ruth, just think, just think about how long that pause was for Ruth. What's he going to say? Get out of my field. You're a Moabite. I don't want you, with the reputation you have, being around all these young, I mean, think about what possibly have gone through her mind at this point, and this is beautiful it's truly beautiful listen daughter <laughs> i mean this should bring a tear to your eye listen daughter these are the first words ruth have, has heard spoken to her since she left moab other than naomi this is her first interaction with somebody who are part of the people of God. And what would they be like? Would they be, hey, you've you got to get out of here. You're unwanted. you got a bad reputation. Or, or hold her hand and say, listen, daughter, I, I see you. I know your story. I love you story. And I want to take care of you. See, I I think Boaz has Rahab beaten in his heart. He uses his wealth. He's not just a man of worthy character. He uses his wealth to help Ruth, to protect her. And so again, I come back to her first encounter. Because of our ministry with El Cuerpo, a lot of times people who are immigrants to America, their first encounter with the church is with Christ Community Church. Could be the clinic, could be the tutoring program. One day we have a staff meeting out here in the lobby, and two women came up this sidewalk right here, and they were were Hispanic, and they knocked on the door, and so thankfully Lizzie Cooper was here, and she went out to talk to them, and then she brings them in and takes them back to the office. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, she comes back to join, and we ask what happened. And they said, well, they didn't speak any English. They just ha- got, have gotten to Wilmington. They have a phone, and they just showed me the phone and said, is this the right address, 4555 Fairview? They had taken a picture of it from somebody else's phone. And the person who'd given them this address said, You'll, you'll find help here. So they come up and say, is this the right address? Yes. And then they say, will we find help here? I mean, what a moment. What a moment. No. Get out of our country. You, you see, you see this, this right here happens in Wilmington all the time and we are sometimes the very first contact that somebody's going to have with what are supposed to be God's people. And how will we act? How will we re- we respond? Finally, the last point, Boaz worshiped the Lord. You see this in verse 11 and 12. These are really the key verses of the chapter. He notices uh, what has happened with uh, all of that's happened with Moab? I mean, with uh, Ruth. I know what you've done with your daughter, your mother-in-law. I know how you've stayed after the death of your husband. You've come to a land that's native, and people don't know who you are. I see, I know that you're in the shadows. I see you, and I'm praying that the Lord would repay you, and I'm going to be part of that repaying. But here's what I'm most impressed by in verse 12. You come under the wings of God, my God, to take refuge. He's most impressed by her faith. He's most impressed by her faith. You remember the passage in um, Matthew five sixteen: Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God. That's how Ruth oriented her whole life. She did good works but her good works were a reflection of the glory of God. So when Boaz says, hey, I see your good works, but what I'm impressed with is your faith. I'm not mostly impressed with you. I'm mostly impressed with the God and who, under whose wings you have found shelter. That's a bit great biblical image. Boaz and Ruth are impressive. They're people who we want to follow in their footsteps and we'll cut to the last scene 19 and 20 Naomi's bitter bucket begins to break open did you notice it where did you glean today I mean Ruth's coming back with 50, 60 pounds worth of wheat blessed be the man who took notice of you the man's name is Boaz Boaz hey He's a relative. He's a close relative. He might be our redeemer. And so what advice does now the bitter broken up Naomi give to Ruth? Stay near him. He he might be our redeemer. Stay near him. Here is our Redeemer. What am I going to say now? Stay near him. When you come forward, just, I'm trying to stay near Jesus. And for some of you, you've got, you must turn and get out of the mental game that you play with yourself that keeps you in some kind of brokenness and bitterness and say, I've got to stay near him. I mean, I don't always see what he's doing. It might be six years. It might be 60 years, but I'm going to stay near him. I got to take my hand off the remote, but I, I'd love you all. But I want you to love the Lord because of his graciousness and his kindness and his favor to you. He's not angry. Let's pray.